Hey guys, welcome to the Last Set Podcast, and today I'm joined by Cameron Elliott, coach at the Strength Club. How you doing, brother? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. It's it's fu- it's nice to finally get you in here. We've been talking back and forth for some time, and it was not too long ago that I actually realized that I I wasn't the first to get you on a podcast. I mean, your own lot did, so... Uh, it's it's not, it's good to have you back in here, man. It's good to help you get your story out there. So give us a little bit of inside information about yourself before we get into this. Man, where do I start? Um, so my name's Cam. Um, I'm 22. I'm a strength coach in Perth at the Strength Club Perth in Osborne Park. Um, I've been in the industry for about two years now, since 2020, um, mainly in the uh, in the strength side of the things. And um, yeah, so that was that's really my background in the uh, in the industry and still learning every day. Um, I've been training since I was about 15, mainly for sports, that kind of thing, and just naturally found PT and coaching and doing my certs to actually kind of find something. Well, actually, I found something that I love um, unintentionally. it was I was pushed into it, but very grateful that I was. So, oh, how do you mean, What do you mean by being pushed into it? I was pretty lost about 18, 19, really wasn't sure what I wanted to do in life. Um, okay. I knew I loved training, and then, yeah, my dad was like, hey, do you want to – what about being a PT? And I was like, actually, it's a really good idea. So um, very grateful that my dad said that. Um, I'd always kind of pondered the idea, but never really actioned it. So yeah, he pushed me into it. And most people are generally lost at 18, 19. Oh, 100%. I mean, we don't have the name drop the high school, but like, were you ever in high school and you were asked all the time, what do you do when you, what do you want to do when you leave school? What do you want to do when you leave school? 100%. And, and if you didn't have an answer, it was like they would critique you for that. Like, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to be a loser? And then... Oh, 100%. I would always just say, eh. I just said, I'll do what I want. That's, yeah. that's the main thing for yeah, me. 100%. Um, so you, you're, you're a PT at the Strength Club. Have you ever worked uh, anywhere else or has it mainly been just that place where you've honed your craft? Man, so I started out at a, um, a strength gym in South Perth, um, PPS, good place, um, had some really good mentors there. That was my first experience in the industry. Um, was there for about a year and then I moved on to RBT um, in Balcata in about March of last year, which is really good. Um, some group training, a bit more experience in a slightly different group setting, um, a bit more kind of CrossFit style, which is cool. Um, not personally my thing, but yeah, it was really cool to get some experience with other kind of clients and a different niche of the industry. Um, and then, yeah, I moved on to Strength Club early this year. Um, I officially started working there in March, but I've been training there since January. So it's been really good to be around the powerlifters and that's where I am now. That's where I envision myself in the future. Yeah. I mean, when I'm seeing, I'm watching your Instagram stories, you're putting up some big, big lifts, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. So how long have you actually been in powerlifting for? Like, uh, what, when did you start tra- start the transition? Technically speaking, I only started powerlifting training specifically in about September last year. Um, but I've been doing the general strength kind of stuff, SBD, like squat, bench, deadlift, um, just trying to get strong, jacked as we all are mm-hmm. coming through the industry. Um, even just as a kid, I always wanted to just be strong and as big as possible. So, yeah, man. Um, wow, what's that like? Not not even a year, maybe nine months. So, yeah. And have you competed at all yet? Or Yeah, I had my first comp in April 23rd at Rucci's Gym. Um, yeah, it was like a nov- uh, – no, actually, it was a states uh, state competition. So, that was my first experience. Went really well. Wow. Okay. So tell me, tell me about that. Like what weight class did you have to do? And so I was in the hundred kilo weight class. Um, yeah. So they've got like, they go weight classes for men from 190, 80s. Uh, I'm not too sure beyond that, but yeah. So I was in the hundred kilo class. Um, yeah, it was a really good experience, man. It was my first taste of powerlifting and that's what I want to do. That's where I envision my coaching going. Um, so it was good to get some experience actually myself and understand what my future clients and current clients will go through. Uh, okay well, mm. was, I've been to a couple of those powerlifting meets before I've watched mm. a fair few of them uh, Those things, they get rowdy Yes, big, big spectacles I have no idea they could get that rowdy I get more hype just watching people like smack each other And like suck oh, up man, It's different, hey, different gravy Yeah, yeah <laughs> it is, it <laughs> yeah, is. Literally. And I've always been heavily quick I mean, hats off to those who do bodybuilding And all that And I've been to a couple of bodybuilding shows. I just I don't find it enjoyable to watch unless you personally know someone who's stepping on stage. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. But when you go to a powerlifting meet, it's not I mean, everyone, yes, is competing against each other, but everyone sort of wants the best for each other. You can walk away very satisfied from a powerlifting competition, regardless of where you've placed, 
But if you hit a new PB, that's that's, that's stuff like uh, you know rarefied air for them. A hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I think um, I was I had no expectations of what to what to think coming into the meet, and um, even just watching guys that were in my weight class, weight class below me, um, it was just a different kind of spectacle, man. Just to see people, you know, get really hyped in the zone, very focused. Um, powerlifters are super focused man at the back everyone's kind of keeping to themselves they're also really friendly um more often than not but yeah it was interesting just to see and you know the crowd just getting around everyone people of all different shapes sizes um colors creeds like just getting around each other and actually just being supportive um i think it's one of the best niches of the industry for that um you know when i came into strength club for the first time i was hitting a one rep max squat people who had no idea who i was just got around me and they were clapping cheering stopped anything that they were doing and that's what the sport is. And I think it's nuts like that. Yeah. So what numbers were you putting up? Do you remember? So from the comp, I hit a 215 kilo squat, which was awesome for me. Um, I missed a 117 and a half bench, um, but I also pulled a 250 deadlift. So I was really happy with that. 250 deadlift. So that's yeah. six plates, roughly? So oh, I think it's five, four plates, a 10, ten. and then the collars. Plus a 2.5. Oh, yeah. Yeah. wow. So they've got, like, with your deadlift and your squat bench, powerlifting, you've got like weighted collars. So they're like two and a half kilos each. Um, and that's what they'll use. So the plates will look different from an outsider's perspective. Oh, I didn't know that they included the weights of the collars as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't new. know either. Yeah. yeah. Did you find out that on the day? Not on the day. When I first came to Strength Club and was actually around powerlifters and powerlifting equipment, um, that was something that I was like, oh, that's really cool, man. Like, didn't know that i would just even on social media see people say oh that's 260 and i'm like mate that's only 250 but you know you don't <laughs> take into account the colors and when you get into that space it's you know what you what you find out yeah so about this competition what was this was it completely raw was there some uh was it like what do they call multiply and all that where they add equipment to it oh yeah so yeah so so I was competing in a GPC competition. So that's one of the federations in Perth. Okay. So they allow uh, wraps. So you can wear knee wraps. Um, whereas in the other co- federations, they'll either be sleeved or you can wear whatever you want. You don't have to wear sleeves. Um, yeah. So it's slightly different in that your knee is essentially immobilized in walking, but under weight, it just adds that extra bit of confidence and a lot of tension. It's like a spring. So when you get to the base of that squat, man, it just powers you out. So you can add a lot, a lot more weight. Uh, than you typically would with like a like a knee sleeve, for example. Okay, so leading up to a competition with the knee, with the was it sorry knee wraps or knee sleeves? Yeah. So I I, I so oh, you so don't you have to compete in this in the sleeves uh, in the wrap. Sorry, you can, but you don't have to. So I chose not to because I'd never done it before. Um, and my coach Jacob, he was just like, "Nah, man, look, I've just taken you on a couple of weeks ago. Let's just keep it to wraps uh, to, to sleeves." Sorry, man, I keep getting confused. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I, I competed in sleeves, whereas everyone else was in wraps. Uh, okay, because I was going to ask, like, what type of training do you have to like periodize into a competition if you're doing it with equipment, like? Look, it's 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 much the same. Um, you just have to be. It's load management is a big one. So with those, especially the squats, really the one that gets. Um, you'll see guys in an in an equipped setting squat a lot more than they deadlift more often than not. Um, you just have to be really careful with load management. So you've got 20, 40, maybe 50 kilos in your sleeve personal best squat. You've just got to be really careful. So you've got to be recovering properly. Um, yeah. It's not really much different to what we would do with sleeves. It's just really about being really, you know, like uh, meticulous with your load selection. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What would you say was the biggest, like going into the competition, what was your biggest strength, which of the three? Probably my deadlift. Um, i got very long arms, so it really helps with reducing range. Um, I don't actually have to get too far to the floor to actually pull the weight, um, which is really good. So in terms of leverages, obviously, you're just looking for the best levers possible. For deadlifts, they'd call me like a, a deadlift specialist in a way, in the sense that I've got long arms. Um, that body type is really kind of conducive to a good deadlift. Okay, so yeah. since we're on that conversation of ideal body types, then... And you believe that the and you have the ideal body type for a deadlift. Mm. What would the ideal body type be for a squat or and a bench, or is there ever such a thing as the ideal for all three? Look, it's 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 not uncommon to be good at all three. It's it's a lot of to do with being able to extend and flex your spine or compress and open up your rib cage. Um, especially when we think about like stacking the pelvis, um, creating this nice neutral spine, that can play into it, especially with bench press. Um, you often see that the guys who are really, really good at bench and powerlifting 
kind of suffer in their squat and deadlift because they're in that overly extended kind of like kyphotic and lordotic uh, position in the spine. They find it hard to compress um, and really kind of, you know, take that load with squats and deadlifts, whereas bench is good. And then vice versa, someone like myself, long arms, um, I'm good at squats and deadlifts. I can really compress my spine, um, whereas bench press, I can't open up as much. My thoracic spine is pretty locked. I, I have to do a lot of work to get my bench press better. So there's trade-offs. Oh, I see. Mm. I see. Mm. So coming into that competition, like what's the sort of – Atmosphere. What's the what's the point? What's um what's uh what's the community like when it comes to competitions? Is it something that power is powerlifting something as as common as like you know a competition like once a month, twice a month? Like I know what you mean. So in terms of frequency per year, yeah. Um, look, you, you've got competitions happening all the time. It's just about whether that federation is hosting a competition. So let's say this year in um in November we're hosting a state qualifier. Um, at Strength Club, so that'll be awesome. That's an APU state qualifier. So you compete in that. You you get the placing that you need. You secure the total of your three best lifts, um, and you can compete in states the year after. Um, there's usually maybe a couple comps a year. I think there's usually maybe two to four opportunities to qualify for states um, just because obviously people coming in from work, all different circumstances, um, you know, want an opportunity to compete um, at states. And then if you win states, go to nationals, nationals, worlds, that kind of thing. Um, but there's heaps of competitions. So if you're, if you're just a spectator, different federations will host like a, a myriad of different federations, um, sorry, competitions throughout the year. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so sense. are the federations the ones that, you were mentioning the APU. Yes. Is so that one of so are they drug tested or non drug tested? Some are tested okay. and some are untested. So um, APU is a tested federation. Um, that's what Strength Club we um, we promote. That's who we um, are affiliated with. And then yeah, so there's a couple of untested. I'm not too sure on the untested side. So I, I'm I'm in the tested side of things. Awesome, awesome. Mm. So I wanted to ask a few things about that, like mm. in the side of tested and untested, like. Uh, Obviously, you would test for steroids, and yep. that's the main thing. That's yep. the main giver of Q. Mm. But is there any other like types of banned substances that you would test for, Robin? Look, there's a, there's there's a lot. I think if you're looking like specifically, you'd look at water. Um, I'm not too well versed in all those kind okay. of supplements, but um, there's definitely a long list of things that, unbeknownst to the to the common you know um, supplement user, they might not know that they're coming into competition where they can't use that. Um, it's big in sports. Obviously, it's happened quite a few times. Yeah. Even things like Panadol, you've just got to be careful. Um, usually, just go and check the wider website, uh, website, that kind of thing, just to be safe. Oh, mm. okay. Mm. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. So, like, uh, here's the main thing I actually wanted to ask. What is it about powerlifting that you think people find so attractive? Look, for me, I think there comes to a point where training for aesthetics gets very monotonous. Um, you know, you're doing certain types of rep ranges, that kind of thing, certain exercises, and it gets quite stale. You kind of, you hit a point where you can do as many four by tens with your dumbbell bench press as you want. You're still, you're going to reach these, you know, aesthetic goals. And then you're like, right, well, one of the, me like the methods or the modalities to get stronger, or to get bigger or stronger is to get stronger. So if you want to build more muscle, sometimes you've got to spend time getting really, really strong. Um, and I think you look at some of the best bodybuilders to do it, and I'm not an expert in that field by any means, but, you know, your Arnold's and uh, Ronnie Coleman, super strong guys. Mm -hmm. um, but, man, you know, that's that's how they got there because they, they train really hard. They love to train. They really prioritize performance in the gym. Um, and I think for me growing up, um, I always wanted to be bigger, um, just insecurities, that kind of thing. Um, and then I fell in love with the op like that side of getting really strong, squat, bench, deadlift. It's really fun to kind of push and see where you can go with those kind of kind of uh, numbers and lifts. And uh, the, the part that I find the most attractive from those that I've spoken to is that it takes away from that whole, like uh, almost I would say narcissistic side of the fitness industry because with the beautiful thing about powerlifting, it's not something one you can fake, and it's not, and it's something that's pure, purely performance. Yeah, and it's taken away that whole idea of self-image. Yeah, all that—that's the main thing because that the some of the uh, the powerlifters, you know, it's quite typical for them to be quite thick. I would 100%, say, yeah, hundred percent, and I'll. It's it's good because we always, I mean, nowadays people assume uh, associate so much with aesthetics, yeah. 
and they judge too much on aesthetics. Yeah. But if you meet a powerlifter, they're not worried at all. You know, they're focusing more on improving technique and getting more weight on the bar. Yeah. Those I find very, very healthy goals. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's where I kind of hope that you know people can gradually shift their mindset towards. And if you're someone who's you know, I tell this to pretty much everyone. If you're someone who is feel like they're plateauing in the gym or they're getting stuck or they're focusing too much on salvage, transition to a powerlifting style um, phase or at least dabble in yeah. that Montana because 100%. it's going to help you rewrite your goals. 100%. So let's say, for example, if you've got someone who came to you and they wanted to in- increase their squat or bench or deadlift and all that mm. and they were a general public. Yeah. How would you sort of like shift their mind? So if they came to you, what they want to say they want to lose weight. How would you help shift their mindset to focusing more on performance base rather than aesthetics? It's very tough. Obviously, there's a lot of yeah. psychological things that go into that. Um, depending on the person, obviously, let's say they're 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 pretty sound. They've just not got a lot of education on why performance is the best. You know, the best way to focus. I think to focus on. I think if you can if you can tell them and you can in a very nice and kind of simple way phrase it that the performance side of things is what drives hypertrophy and if you want to get big you've got to get strong at the same time and do it in a nice way that they find enjoyable man you're going to set them up for longevity that's what we're looking for right so there's more benefits to just performance uh to to, you know there's more things to strength training other than just getting strong um you know, there's a there's a mindset shift. There's, as you said, a really good point I like is that it helps them to reframe their goals, gives them other things to focus on other than just, you know, because sometimes we slip up. Sometimes we, we you know, we, we leave the diet for three weeks. You know, we, we eat in a surplus without knowing it. And, you know, you have to take those things on the chin. You've got to, you know, accept them and acknowledge that you've done that. But you can also focus on getting stronger. And sometimes fat loss especially can take a lot longer than people think. Um and if you're just focusing on how you look and not actually perform, uh, you know, on your performance, then it gets really, you know, discouraging. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you need to be able to have those other things, other, you know, markers of success to understand that, man, I am still progressing. I might not be losing fat as quickly as I thought. That's about expectation management. But I'm getting really strong and, you know, my pain's going away or, you know, I'm able to move better. I'm not sitting, you know, getting up off out of my desk, you know, desk chair every day and feeling, man, you know, I'm, I'm fucking sore. I feel good. Do you know mm, what I mean? Um, yeah. Energy levels increase, all those kind of things. Yeah. Yes. So that's actually, that's good. That's good to know. What I saw from that is list goals that are, uh, one thing I pulled forward help. Uh, sorry. One thing I've used is that focus on goals that are purely anything, but in terms of looks. Yeah. Okay. So like, for example, if they had an injury, yeah. get them moving better off that injury. 100%. That's the main thing. 100%. And, I ask them which like things are tasks they find, you know, usually hard. Like some people, they get have a hard time getting up the stairs. Yeah. They have a hard time, you know, keeping up with the kids. They have yeah. a hard time, you know. Well, what's what's another one? Like the dog or something like that. Yeah, you have a dog touching toes. All those sorts of things are sort of things you can list. And I'm like, okay, this is something I want you to focus on for the next six weeks on getting better at. Like the main one is actually touching the toes. Like because with strength training does come some form of flexibility. 100%. Obviously, yeah. we have to stretch and all that to look after the muscles and all. Um, and we can get into that side later. Yeah. But those are the main things I always help people get away from. And it's always that first six weeks. 100%. I always say, and I was just, a, it's because, you know, with the whole concept behind take six weeks to build a habit, two yeah. weeks lose it, all yeah. that. Yeah. But I just always feel like once I get someone past that first six weeks of training, then in, then their mindset, their mindset, so mind mindset shifts completely. Uh, in your time training, like, uh, have you ever? Had, what would you say was one of like the biggest challenges you've had? Like, what? Well, that's a bit one to think about. But like, that's a, it's a good question. I like, like that. Have you ever had like a really like difficult client, or obviously not bagging on that client, but like a client where you thought to yourself, okay, this one's going to need a bit of work and all that. Not one specifically. I think what's really difficult is when you get people who, you know, have really poor self-image um, and they got really low confidence. I think it's a challenge, but it's a really welcome challenge, to be honest with you. I've got a lot of people coming on uh, potentially um, in, the, in the coming weeks who are, you know, like, Cam, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what to do about nutrition. I don't understand it. I think there's, you know, they've done all these crash diets, all these different really extreme, you know, methods to actually get where they want to be, but they don't understand that, right? And a lot of it comes from education, but a lot of it is just like they've had really bad experiences with coaches and, 
you know, they've got misinformation. There's so much in the industry, which is oh, really terrible. You can tell you yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> but, um, which sucks. And, and that's, you know, that's really hard to deal with. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. That's probably one of the things that I find most challenging. But I love it. I love the satisfaction of being able to teach someone to love their body, to love training, to love food, and, like, to see them go out, go and get a burger, you know what I mean? And not feel guilty and be like, man, that was so good. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking awesome, man. Like, you've just enjoyed that entire meal. And then they'll do that weekly. And that's, you know, something that's like a release for them. Because food's emotional, you know what I mean? Or training's emotional. Their bodies, and like, they attach emotions to it. So it's, it's really satisfying, yet also challenging to have people like that. Yeah, when you talk about people struggling with, like, self-image, in your experience, do you find it associates mainly more to men or females? Oh, it's pretty. It's pretty female dominant, I'd say. I uh, agree. But man, there's some there's some guys who have got you know some pretty pretty bad self confidence, and again, it's just about encouragement as a coach, being there as like a as a friend and, and like a confidant, and just being like, hey, man, you know, you can talk to me about that, but let's help you, you know enjoy it. You know what I mean? That's that's the main. Th- well, what I tell them as well is when they they don't is that they see something in themselves that they don't like, and obviously that person has it, so they have one or two responses, I believe, they would say, oh, if that person has it, why can't I have it? Yeah. And the second response I say is, okay, if that person can have it, then I, so can I. Yeah, and definitely. then one of the two ways will dictate how they respond. Uh, so after that, um, and for me, I've all mainly I focus on training with guys. Yeah. Now, the reason why I always focus on training with guys is because, one, um, as a guy myself, I'm 23, I kind of understand how boys think because that's yeah. how I think as well. Yeah. So definitely. that's why I've always had that as one of my niches. Yeah. Um, of course, I help train train women as well, but mainly men because I feel like also for now, they're in this society, if we want to get political, I don't think there's ever been more of a time now for men ever had to get, if not one, just obviously they want to get bigger and stronger, but just to at least get healthy. Yeah. Because now I feel like men are more than ever struggling when it comes to getting healthy nowadays. Hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. yeah like, I agree like with that. I actually had a doctor that I spoke to, uh, who, who's uh, obviously in UWA studying UWA, and they're doing like a they, they had like this massive consensus of like men's testosterone levels over the years. Yeah, and yeah. lately it's like rapidly declining. Yeah, I know it's it's nuts. And then I was just like, oh, okay, well, how? And it was so it was it was so ironic when I told her this, but told, when she told me this as well, because we were in the gym. It's like, okay, well, if you could give them one tip, all right? I, not, I mean, it's so hard to put a pin on everything, but if you can narrow it down to just one thing to help mm. boost testosterone, yeah, training. Yeah, it's the number. One. <laughs> it's just Facts. it's like that number. It's like she said it like it was the most obvious answer in the world, but yet no one does it. And it's just, yeah. and it also comes down to the association with thing with, with working as well. And nowadays, yeah. I do yeah. feel like we're generally becoming more and more lazier. Yeah, 100%. especially for, especially for guys as well. And then again, there's a whole other reasons to get into it. But the one thing I actually wanted to point up now. Sorry, this mic's shit. Um, <coughs> so anyway. Time that anyway, as one thing I wanted to get into right now for you specifically, as we talked about misinformation, yeah, definitely. as a power lifter yourself, yeah. like what's some things that you believe and people are mo- mainly misinformed about when it comes to powerlifting? Um, a lot of it is like just having to train so balls to the wall every session that you feel like you're completely wrecked. I think that's very ever present in in a lot of you know niches of the industry. I think it's quite a general topic, but it's quite specific in powerlifting. Um, yeah, just, just, you know, thinking that you have to, especially kids who don't, who look up to powerlifters, but, um, you know, you'll see them at, at your commercial gym kind of maxing out on the bench every time, maxing deadlifts, maxing squats, um, where they've got really low frequency of, you know, squat, bench, deadlift training, um, and they kind of go in, that's all they do, maybe some arms, and that's about it, that, you know, they, they'll max out every week, um, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions, and I think in powerlifting that, that you know, that's kind of going around is that you need to be hitting singles every week and you know you definitely can there's definitely a place for singles every week and every in, in, in every training block but sometimes you got to do some some skill-based work um yeah i think maxing out every week is probably a big one okay what yeah well i feel that people do that mainly for tiktok you yeah know what definitely 100 I mean? definitely, <laughs> <laughs> i agree i agree so when would you say personally also from yourself a healthy way to max out like 
I think it's 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 hitting submaximal weights and understanding that every every single has a purpose. Every every kind of exercise prescription, every you know rep range, every set um, amount, or every you know percentage or whatever RP you give them for that kind of for that day for that constraint, whatever, it's all got a purpose. Um, if you're someone who struggles with bench press and you're a competitor, maybe get some heavy singles in there every week. Um, ramp up the RP by 0.5 every week, so it's like potentially even like you know one kilo difference week in week out from you know putting it on the bar it could be 100 could be 101 the next week um i think and then maxing out it's it's very hard to say it you know potentially for a new for like a newbie coming in with you you might get them to understand um you might get them to do a max out straight away um because it's not going to be super heavy and you need to get them to understand rpe you need to un, you know to understand an 8 out of 10 they need to understand a 10 out of 10 um, and then maybe for someone who's a bit more advanced, you'd be doing singles week in, week out, depending on how technically sound they are. Um, yeah, it depends, man. It's like that last block of training. If, you, if you're talking very general like GPP and then those kind of training phases, maybe in the last block. Um, but, man, 12 weeks, that kind of thing, you don't want to be doing it too often, but you also want to keep heavy singles in there because you need that exposure. If your goal is to get a bigger bench press, do more heavy single bench presses because, you know, doing 5 by 5 at 75%. It's not going to get you a bigger one rep max. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I would I would definitely agree to that. Like, yeah. well, so mainly just what I tell people as well. It's it's it can just be little things as well, like how much of a technique comes into play. Yeah. And sometimes the hardest thing for people to do just to progress is to just admit that they don't know everything. Yeah. And then find someone you know who does have their th- sort of stuff like nailed down. Yeah. Definitely. And then just get them to give you like some little bit of advice, like hundred percent. I mean, I mean, because at the at the end of the day, if you want to grow the community with anything that you do, I would say more cooperation is, means better. Yeah, definitely. So hundred percent, man. Like reaching out to a, you know, reaching out to a coach or just reaching out to someone who you you know might be help quite more knowledgeable would help you out. Yeah. So that's now also the next part I wanted to like turn into yeah go on so let's talk about first of my personal favourite uh, thing obviously bench yeah you know nice. what I mean so the first question I wanted to ask you was like how often do you like su- like um, cycle between bars like do you do any work for, like specialty bars or oh interesting you're talking like Swiss bars that kind yeah. of thing um, yeah look personally I don't use it very often I think there's a time and a place for sure um, a lot of it's to do with injury management so let's say um, take it away from the bench press. A really easy one's a safety bar squat. Um, you'd use a safety bar if they've got shoulder issues, right? Something like that. If they're going through like nerve damage or they've got like rotator cuff issues, you'd put them on a safety bar. Um, if you want to pull them away from the barbell but still get them doing a horizontal press, give them a dumbbell bench press. It's super, super key. Uh, important to you know add that range of motion in there. Really start to overload the pecs, grow some tissue in that area in order to come back and for your bench press to be better. You can also use like an inclined dumbbell bench press to help them open up their rib cage and um, really teach them to kind of press their neck back into the bench, that kind of thing. That's very like skill-based work. Mm-hmm. Um, even a Swiss bar, you could look at the neutral grip that it offers. Um, obviously, differing widths of shoulders and, uh, you know, uh, arm lengths are really, really important in that kind of thing. Um, yeah, if they've got wrist issues, putting them in a more neutral, semi-neutral position, you know, really, really helpful. So I think it's it's very case dependent. A lot of this stuff in coaching these days is case by case. Yeah. You've got to really kind of unpack what's going on with them um, rather than give this kind of general rule. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah, 100% time and a place for it. Yeah, I've because personally myself, I've always, because you mentioned the Swiss bar, yeah. always been a massive fan of it. Yeah. Mainly because of like we can agree that the barbell itself is very unforgiving. Yes, it does expose the weaknesses very Definitely, often. 100%. So, I always like to get clients used to uh, obviously the Swiss bar first before we go to the barbell. Yeah, mainly because it's the, it comes to things like you know retracting the shoulders and yeah. getting used to that depressed and sorry um protracted depressed uh, sorry retracted and depressed position yep. things like stabilizing the rib cage yep. and also the other thing is the role of triceps yep so um how to actually you know use your tri- uh, i mean triceps or person i'll ask you as a powerlifter yeah do you believe that triceps has much of a role when it comes to the bench like 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. i think yeah. um a lot of the times in that like final third if they struggle with their lockout more often than it's triceps um it could be elbow positioning as well like um inducing external versus internal rotation mm-hmm. um yeah i think 
triceps are really, really key. It's one of those things that if you've got someone who kind of can get off their chest really well, usually they've got a really well-developed um, set of pecs, that's that's fine. What it usually is is that lockout will be triceps. So doing a lot of single-arm work, um, a lot of push-downs, a lot of skull crushes, that kind of thing under different kind of um, overhead positions, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Triceps are a big key in the bench press. Awesome, awesome. Now the next part I actually wanted to ask was like uh, you mentioned the safety squat bars. Yeah. Wouldn't the safety squat at all have any role in helping producing uh, – what is it helping out with? Would you ever do like heavy singles with a uh, safety squat bar? Hundred percent, man. Again, if okay. you've got like a a client, let's say they do really close to a um, a powerlifting meet, they do a shoulder injury or they get some nerve pain, something like that. Not a serious injury, but they're still going to compete. Their physio said, "Hey, maybe we take a step back on that kind of." extremely abducted externally rotated position in the shoulder but you can still load them up on a safety bar now it won't have the same carryover that a barbell back squat will um obviously it's a bit more like a front squat in a sense but it's going to still help them to overload their quads 100 percent, and it's still going to give them a really good opportunity to to load up their quads teach them to compress so draw the rib cage down over the pelvis um yeah and just to you know load, load the quads is a really good one man yeah. and uh like, because a big, big part of training has always, uh, always actually added the uh, safety bar squat. Mainly myself, I'm also a fan of the safety bar squ- box squat. Yeah. As well as when it comes to uh, hip flexion and all that. So yep. I get them used yep. to sitting back, yep. leaning over, yep. coming up. And it's yep. that movement yep, as 100%. well. That's, that's the main th- sort of area in, uh, add them into. Like... Um, this one's the next. This is, might be a little bit hard for um, to, to nail down as well, 100%. because I've had previous powerlifters come on, and you know, um, one thing they've always talked about is like we're always searching for the perfect accessory. Yeah. So this is more I'm asking for more of your side of the story, but like, yep. how do you sort of if you're getting ready for a meet, like how do you use your accessories, and how much of a role do they change over the week? A a really good quote I heard is that. I won't, I'll be paraphrasing here, but um, any accessory will do a very similar job. It's about the way that you phrase um, the kind of the reason why you give it to them. So you could give someone a foam roller barbell RDL to help strengthen their adductor group. So you'd put a foam roller between their knees, teach them to, to squeeze in. So they're really trying to like keep that, their knees from pushing out on the deadlift. Um, but also you could teach them to use that. And another constraint you could put on that would be to teach them to flex. So to kind of hunch over the lumbar spine, if they work really hard in extension, let's say someone who's got a really little dotted curve in their lumbar spine. So it kind of sticks out like that Instagram duck bum. Um, but you could also give them a dumbbell Spanish squat where again, you're teaching them to compress, draw the ribs down. You can give different exercises that are completely different and you can give them the same constraints or even a slightly different constraint. It's about the way you phrase it. You can take the same thing with two different clients and use it for two different reasons. You know what I mean? I think accessories are, they can be specific, but it's also about how you word it to the client. Okay. More than anything. So just cycling back to the foam roller uh, I've yep. never ever seen or heard of that stuff like that. I'll Tell me about that. a video of me doing it. So essentially the way that I would set up, there's heaps of different constraints like heels up, heels down, all different kind of things. So for myself, on my deadlift, one of my struggles is one of my knees likes to push out. Now, for the hips to extend or to create hip extension, your femur has to be in internal rotation. So you can't be pushing your or like jacking your femur externally. You can't be turning your knees out. Oh, cool. So for the people who are listening and don't know anything about yeah. that, can you yeah. explain why that's the case? So essentially to, to be a bit more simple, if you're trying to lock out your squat, turning your knees outwards is actually going to make it really, really difficult to fully extend your hips. Really? Yeah. You want to internally rotate. So not necessarily turn your knees in, but you want them to face forward. Wow. This is a very, it's, I know it's a very different perspective on squatting. That um, is because I... Was I mean, it's quite taught basically. Quite, but ba- you see a lot of personal trainers do it as well. Yeah, for the safety of it, to always externally rotate their feet. Yeah, push so their knees out. The feet is fine. It depends on the person. A lot of the times, it's to do with length, um, wider versus um, shorter, and like narrower stance depends on you know like the femur length, the tibia fibula length. Um, but in terms of the femur itself and uh, eliciting. 
hip extension, you have to internally rotate your, your femur. It has to move inwards. You can try it, stand up, jack your feet all the way out, turn your knees as wide as possible. You'll feel a lot of uh, restriction in your hips trying to extend. Bring them right in and you won't find any issue there. So that's not to say that sumo deadlifts versus conventional deadlifts are you know different and that you can't extend your hips. Um, different skill, different conversation entirely. But yeah, when you see... Um, I think this this stems from this kind of turn your feet out, turn your knees out. Is we, it stems from this conversation of overcorrection? Um, it's a it's kind of ver, uh, like a very big issue in the industry is like overcorrecting something. So we say, um, let's say someone's falling forward or they've got a lot of flexion in their lumbar spine when they squat. We tell them to stick their bum out. That's very old school. Not many people do it anymore, but that's overcorrection. What we're trying to actually get is a neutrality in the spine, right? We're trying to bring it into neutral. Same thing with the knees turning out. We see valgus, so the knees caving inwards excessively, which can be bad, also cannot be, different question entirely. But um, And then we say, oh, push your knees all the way out, but that's overcorrection. What we want is them to be facing forward. We want the hip, the knee, the ankle stacked in order to elicit force through the floor, pressure in the midfoot, and we need to allow the knees to move because that load's pushing you that way like the, the the barbell back squat is going to push your knees in a certain way. We just want to embrace it. We want to do it in the safest way possible. So jacking your knees out is an overcorrection of valgus, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well yeah. that's something new. I learned. Interesting perspective, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, well, when, not even that, but generally when you see squatters as well, particularly quad squatters, yeah. they always turn their feet out. I know what you mean, 100%. Yeah. 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 So look, it works for some people, and if it's if it's not affecting their performance, you may not need to try it. But if let's say they're in a plateau, right, and we need to go back and do some more skill based work, and we need to change their technique, that might be the thing that breaks through. So that contact with the floor, having a more flat sole flat sole shoe, so that you can feel pressure in your midfoot, or if you don't know what that means, right in the middle of your foot through that arch is really where we want to feel that pressure, in order to use your quads. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So again, heaps of different modalities. That's actually a good. That's a good question I could ask now because quite often we tell people. Um, I would say as a coach, you would you would you you would assess the kind of footwear that they were wearing. Yeah, definitely. especially if they're deadlifting themselves, they would always uh, you always say even one or two things. You want to make them wear barefoot. Yep. Or you would want to wear mainly co- like Converse is usually like the go-to yep. footwear accessory for most powerlifters. I would say. Yeah, I know what you mean. So very classically, Converse, low top, Converse, high top, either way. Vans is a big one as well. And you can definitely <laughs> shout out the Converse. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're obviously great shoes, really flat sole. However, they've still got a raised heel. Or not a raised heel, but they've got a raised sole. So there's about an inch, maybe yeah. half an inch, three quarter of an inch. That's extra range of motion that you're trying to get rid of. So if you see powerlifters nowadays, um, certain brands create deadlift slippers where they're either just like a piece of fabric around your foot because you have to be... Um, wearing footwear in competition. Oh, you have to? Yes, you have to. Why can't you just go barefoot? I think it's just a safety issue, just in case something falls. Look, a piece of fabric is probably not going to do much, but it kind of covers their bases. Um, Beyond that, I don't know. But yeah, you have to wear it. It's just the rules. Um, And it's got like maybe the sole, maybe like a quarter of an inch thick. It's tiny. So there's no added range. So for for deadlifts, especially when it's a... um, a close chain movement where we're literally trying to pick the like a dead weight off floor fighting inertia. We don't want extra range to get down and make that even harder. We want to make it as easy as possible for ourselves. Correct. So are you personally yourself, are you a um, conventional deadlifter or a sumo deadlifter? I'm a conventional man. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, can we clear up the air and maybe why we believe, why I believe that sumo isn't cheating? <laughs> you don't believe sumo is cheating? I don't believe sumo is cheating. I don't believe sumo is cheating Thank either. Thank God we're, we're going to have to agree on yeah, that because yeah. – I am so sick of those egos yeah. in the gym where they say sumo's sumo's cheating. I'm like, no, 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 no. It comes down to also your body type as well. Exactly. And if you wanted to put more weight on the bar, and that's one of the main things that's holding you back. Why would you? Why would you let it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, from your words, Coach Cam, I yeah. would like to know why you believe that Subo is not cheating. <laughs> it's all about leverages. Um, there we go. I'll use one of my friends who I can uh, coached into his first novice comp about two, three weeks ago now. Um, shout out to Josh, good man. Um, so yeah, competed in his first competition. We had him um, kind of start prep very close to that competition, and yeah. I taught him a conventional deadlift stance. Um, Sorry, why did we start prep? That close? Because so uh, he wasn't entirely sure if it was something that oh, he wanted okay. to do and then he kind of made the decision. So we had about two, three months. Now I could have gone and changed his um, 
sumo deadlift, but I coach him online. So it's really tough to get in and actually see him because there's a lot of technical movement uh, work that we have to do as coaches um, with our clients, right? It's much easier to do in person than it is to queue by texting, you know, video call, all these different modes. So do you like get on Zoom? Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, do you know what like I mean? like your face on the screen. You're like, you're watching <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. So um, with him, I said, look, man, we're just going to run you with conventional for now. Um, the reason why we switched him over to sumo now is that his tibia fibia, so his shins, are much longer than his femur, whereas he's got a long body and shorter arms. So his leverages suit sumo better. He finds it really hard to generate tension in his quads off the floor being a little bit shorter and having those shorter leverages in his femurs, so his thigh bone, um, he finds it really hard to get to the floor. And sometimes it can cause him some, you know, discomfort in his back. Not injuries, but, you know, it just doesn't feel quite right for him. So put him in a sumo stance and bang, looks awesome. And you can judge a lot of this stuff by the way somebody looks in that position because it's not hard to spread your feet out a bit wider just to even as a gen pop client to see how they look in a sumo stance. Um, but yeah, it comes down to leverages, man. Yeah, good, 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 good. Yeah. Right. Hope you're listening, TikTokers. Yeah, listen up, guys. <laughs> I just, oh, man, uh, that's the other thing. Um, When it comes to that sort of stuff, like uh, people are so, so cr- critique each other's techniques so quickly and all that. Like, uh, that's the other thing. I mean, do you ever, like, go on my Instagram or sometimes mainly it's TikTok as well, obviously, because I saw it a lot this morning. But someone hits a lift and... You know, they'll just say, oh, it doesn't count because you do sumo and all that. Man, I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I wonder where that like, whole mindset just like came from. I think it's insecurity, to be honest with you. I think, okay. especially with females and bench press, um, and then sumo deadlifting, obviously we've just covered, but bench press is a big one. So, you know, creating an arch in the spine. People think that because you've created such a big arch that it makes it so easy. I'd like to see a lot of the people who critique these guys bench pressing 220, 230, 240 at really light bed, uh, body weights try and even hold that weight over their chest. It is huge weights. So they've still got that strength even to get into that position. Um, it comes from insecurity and jealousy that they can't do that. And that's okay. I understand that. You just got to treat these people with kindness. But especially in powerlifting, it's a case of don't hate the player, hate the game, man. Mm. That is just them exercising their right to you know find loopholes in the rules it's not even a loophole you can maximize your leverages as much as possible it is up to you to do that it's almost for some of these people unsafe not to if they've got this extremely you know flexible spine why would you not do that it's going to put you in a disadvantageous position and it's just going to harm your chances of getting that lift it makes no sense well you see those outlines it's quite impressive like how much of a curve 100 percent, like 100%. <laughs> the things like a pass huge. through that gap you know, oh, i agree i agree yeah it's I gotta, I gotta give it to them, but mainly you see it more with women than men because women are more naturally flexible because of their Correct. anatomy Correct. compared to men. Yeah. So, like, even to get into that arch for the first time as a man, I'm like, dude, you don't understand. That's a skill. It is on it its is. own. Um, it is. The next thing I uh, kind of wanted to ask you was like, because uh, we've talked about leverages. Yeah. We talked about, uh, you know anatomy and all that yeah. so moving on to squat like yeah. um the main thing also like conventional and sumo you've got people who are what they call hip squatters and yeah. you've got people that are quad squatters like yeah how do you is that entirely up to anatomy or is that mainly just what they find more comfortable so i would just want to clarify what you mean like a wider stance versus yes. a, yeah, okay. yeah so yeah. it's very common to see like a lot of girls who are shorter to have like a really narrow stance squat it's honestly it's about where you can feel you can generate enough tension through your quads um especially in powerlifting it's very common or most of the time people are going to low bar squat so the bar sits slightly lower down on the back kind of across your rear delts you're already in a hinged position, right? So your quads are going to get neglected naturally by lengthening your hamstrings at that vertical, uh, so that horizontal translation of your pelvis. You're already going to negate the quads. What we're trying to do is generate as much tension out of the hole with the quads as possible. So if you feel like, because you're a taller guy, you will need a wider stance anyway. But if you feel like you can get into that super, like almost sumo squat-esque position, and that's where you can push the most and generate the most force, why wouldn't you do it? Mm. There's nothing to say you can't. Well, also, if there was in that wider hip squat stance, yeah. wouldn't the range of, range of motion would be reduced. 100%. Yeah. yeah, Because yeah. I believe in powerlifting rules, based on the guys I've spoken to, the hip 
needs to be below, sorry, no, the knee needs to be above the hip crease for it to be a correct yeah. squ- squat. Yeah. yeah. It depends on the federation. Oh. So it's usually, it's either parallel. So you'd look at that hip crease and it needs to sit just below or at the line of the knee or slightly below. So it depends on the federation. Obviously there's nuance, but that's roughly the rule. Mm. Yeah. And someone who's taller, obviously because of their anatomy, they would have to have a higher depth because the hip would obviously sit up much higher and they would have to have a little bit more range of motion. Yeah, look, as a general rule, for sure, I think it's it's really down to tibia, so your shin versus your thigh bone length, mm-hmm. and then torso angle. So if you've got a really long torso, short legs, it might differ. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing you mentioned was the low or high bar squat. Yes. So this is something I personally would ask for myself because I'm not sure if I've asked – but are there any advantages and disadvantages to high and low bar squat? Yeah, 100%. Uh, so okay. we'd, we, I would class high bar as more of an accessory to low bar in the in a powerlifting sense. Because? Uh, because it's a much more upright squat. We can really load the quads um, and we can really teach. Because it's a lot – honestly, I find high bar higher. Um, you've got to teach a lot more control with the high bar. Whereas if you're used to doing a low bar squat where the bar sits lower down, naturally the range of motion is reduced. Um, it's a very hip-dominant squat. You – need to practice the skill of being a bit more upright, using your quads more and finding that midfoot. So this idea of midfoot being on that arch, we really want to, you know, hone that skill. So that's one of the reasons why we, we you know, view it that way. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Personally, because that's something I'm trying to learn myself, the low bar squat, um, yeah, because I've always, always done high bar squat. Yeah. And then I had obviously had a couple of powerlifters on. I've always been a high bar uh, almost like a hip squat style. Yeah, yeah. So they're like switching to a low bar cat is with a hip squat for someone who's tall has its benefits and all that. Definitely, so definitely that's the main thing. Uh, anyway, so what, um, what about things when it comes to like knee sleeves and accessory work and, you know, training with wraps and all that, how often, would you train? Would you teach someone to, or how often would they be training with equipment, or how often? Sorry, do you personally train with equipment yourself? So for me, I adopt the mentality of we train how we play. So let's say from a rugby standpoint, uh-huh. if I wear headgear in a rugby game on the day, I'm going to wear headgear in training because that's I'm getting accustomed to what that feels like. So if I wear sleeves on the day and wrist wraps and a belt, I'm going to use that in those lifts when I train. Now there is, let's say for a belt, for example, there are definitely arguments to do beltless work, especially if you're talking about learning to brace again about rib and pelvis positioning. Um, but the belt definitely helps. It comes to a point where, you know, you see some of the biggest powerlifters in the world, they need a belt because there's some big weight, man. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, it's not, not a requirement. None of this equipment's a requirement. Because I think like um, if you're training with a belt all the time, Yep. Wouldn't that create like a dependency and then yes, hundred percent diminishing returns? Hundred percent, I agree wholeheartedly with that opinion. With that opinion, okay, yep. yeah, yeah, that's that's the main thing I always thought because I've always ideally, and I'm just talking for myself, so may, this may not be factual, so fact check it all. Yep. But whenever it comes to working with a belt, when I'm getting into that ninety percent range, yep. or yep. I'm going for that, you know, three three max or two max or one max, yeah. Comfortable always train with a belt and yep. then but yep. make sure again you're not creating that dependency. I've never really had a reason to be doing a ten, doing ten reps, ten to twelve yeah. in belts. Yeah. yeah. I never see the reason because I see again, not critiquing or oh, shitting on bodybuilders, yeah. you know, you're out <laughs> yeah. there. But do you ever see those guys in the gym that are always, always wearing the belt? Yeah, it's very old school bodybuilding. Yeah. Man. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, that's true. The next thing I wanted to ask was like um is there's a lot of debate around like core work yep. in powerlifting sense. Yeah. Yep. Like how do you apply core work for yourself? Again, case by case. Case Personally, by case. I don't need to. In my case, again, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, I'm really good at stacking my rib cage over my pelvis. So for me, core engagement and that brace is a skill that I've kind of not mastered, but I, I can do to a decent enough degree to get me by. There's definitely a case for doing extra core work. Depends on the person. Um, things like curl-ups, all the Stuart McGill stuff. Again, I'm not super you know, well-versed in that side of things, but they can be really helpful in teaching someone who's you know in like a very extended spinal position to do the complete opposite it's really good to cue um along with other things but to be honest anything can be a core exercise you can do a dumbbell bench press and to a degree it can be a core exercise probably not that that application but goblet squats um leg press or hack squats you know 
split squats. They can all be modes to to strengthen your core. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, because uh, I am I I I am hopefully in. I'm pretty sure that's scientifically proven as well. Yeah. That pretty much every lift you do embraces your core. Hundred percent. If you're someone who's really, uh, it's mainly elderly as well. Yeah, but if definitely. you're someone who believes has a very very weak core and that yeah. could, then that can lead to back pain, yeah. and you need help bracing it, yeah. one of the techniques I've found that's really helped is like the simple act of just placing a kettlebell in their stomach and getting them to just focus on breathing. Yeah, because that itself helps them also with bracing yeah. as well. Yeah, so that's that's the main thing. Um, yeah. The next big question I wanted to ask you, obviously, is sort of started wrapping up time, but yeah. uh, what's your stance on bands and chains, especially also from your own personal standpoint? And also stand some bands and chains from your club that you train at standpoint. Look, I'm not super um, well versed in this kind of thing, especially chains. That's okay. Look, I can understand chains will add added resistance, right? And they'll add different, you know, kind of stability issues. That's that's a definitely a good application if that's, you know, right for that client. Bands, again, let's say I'm doing something like a dumbbell Spanish squat, really good to wrap a band around the back of my knees, really just focus on midfoot pressure really compressing that rib cage and then yeah just finding my feet and using my quads definitely good applications especially for warm-ups as well if you require um let's say lat work lat stability work for bench press it could be good to cue you you know to use your lats whatever in whatever mode it could be i think i'm all for it if it's for the right for the client you know for that client mm, yeah. i see and personally to yourself do you ever use bands or trains in your bands or chains in your training chains is not something i've used before it definitely would be something i try 100 percent um just to see what it's like but bands definitely have used a lot not necessarily in like direct training exercises but in warm-ups cool downs that kind of thing um and teaching different positions for people 100 percent bands have a good application oh okay so have you ever done any like speed benching or i've not no i've seen it mm. and i've it's a very big so i've got um some qualifications in strength conditioning as well as powerlifting um in that S&C side of things, like for sports applications, like, you know, temp, like uh, speed squats, speed bench, that kind of stuff, definitely bands helpful. Oh, so yeah. you haven't applied it? Or not, not for me personally. Really? No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Definitely something I would do though. Yeah. 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 Because it's become quite popular again and I see it quite often now. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it was a lot of it was because of West Side Barbell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I know what you mean, know. man. Because, I mean... I mean, we've seen. The, have you seen the documentary on Netflix about Westside Bobo? I think I've seen parts of it. Definitely seen excerpts on the internet before. Yeah, yeah. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, it's really it good. Yeah. And then what happened was, I spoke with Palafir. Just like after that whole uh, Netflix documentary came out, there was a massive argument in the powerlifting world with the actual credibility of bands and chains. Yeah. So that's that's obviously conversation for another day. Hundred percent. Anyway, Cam. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate having you on. Um, Thank you for having me. Uh, if anyone in my audience wants to find you, man, where can they follow you or find you? Um, big one, um, Instagram. So it's at coachcam underscore PL um, or at Strength Club Perth. Awesome. And once again, where can we find Strength Club Perth if they ever want to come down in person? Osborne Park. It's uh, couldn't tell you the address, but if you flip me a DM, I can, uh, I can flick you the address, guys. Awesome. All right. Thanks for listening to the last set podcast, guys. And thank you, Cam. Great for joining me and that is game.